Chapter One of the Legends of Hawaii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Legends and Myths of Hawaii by King David Kalakaua. Hawaiian Legends Introduction Part One General Retrospective the legends following are of a group of sunny islands lying almost midway between asia and america a cluster of volcanic craters and coral reefs where the mountains are mantled in perpetual green and look down upon valleys of eternal spring where for two-thirds of the year the trade winds sweeping down from the northwest coast of america and softened in their passage southward dally with the stately cocos and spreading palms and mingle their cooling breath with the ever-living fragrance of fruit and blossom deeply embosomed in the silent wastes of the broad pacific with no habitable land nearer than two thousand miles these islands greet the eye of the approaching mariner like a shadowy paradise suddenly lifted from the blue depths by the malicious spirits of the world of waters either to lure him to his destruction or disappear as he drops his anchor by the enchanted shore the legends are of a little archipelago which was unknown to the civilized world until the closing years of the last century and of a people who for many centuries exchanged no word or product with the rest of mankind who had lost all knowledge save the little retained by the dreamiest of legends of the great world beyond their island home whose origin may be traced to the ancient cushites of arabia and whose legends repeat the story of the jewish genesis who developed and passed through an age of chivalry somewhat more barbarous perhaps but scarcely less affluent in deeds of enterprise and valour than that which characterised the contemporaneous races of the continental world whose chiefs and priests claimed kinship with the gods and step by step told back their lineage not only to him who rode the floods but to the sinning pair whose re-entrance to the forfeited joys of paradise was prevented by the large white bird of carne who fought without shields and went to their death without fear whose implements of war and industry were of wood stone and bone yet who erected great temples to their gods and constructed barges and canoes which they navigated by the stars who peopled the elements with spirits reverenced the priesthood bowed to the revelations of their prophets and submitted without complaint to the oppressions of the taboo who observed the rite of circumcision built places of refuge after the manner of the ancient israelites and held sacred the religious legends of the priests and chronological meles of the chief as the mind reverts to the past of the hawaiian group and dwells for a moment upon the shadowy history of its people mighty forms rise and disappear men of the statue of eight or nine feet crowned with helmets of feathers and bearing spears thirty feet in length such men were kiha and liloa and umi and lono all kings of hawaii during the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries and little less in bulk and none the less in valour was the great kamehameha who conquered and consolidated the several islands under one government and died as late as eighteen nineteen and beside umi whose life was a romance stands his humble friend maukaleoleo who with his feet upon the ground 
could reach the coconuts of standing trees and back of him in the past is seen kana the son of hina whose height was measured by paces and glancing still farther backward through the centuries we behold adventurous chiefs in barges and double canoes a hundred feet in length making the journey between the hawaiian and more southern groups guided only by the sun and stars later we see battles with dusky thousands in line the warriors are naked to the loins and are armed with spears slings clubs battle-axes javelins and knives of wood or ivory they have neither bows nor shields they either catch with their hands or ward with their own the weapons that are thrown their chiefs towering above them in stature have thrown off their gaudy feather cloaks and helmets and with spear and stone halberd are at the front of the battle the opposing forces are so disposed as to present a right and left wing and centre the king or principal chief commanding the latter in person in the rear of each hostile line are a large number of women with calabashes of food and water with which to refresh their battling fathers husbands and brothers while the battle rages their wails cries and prayers are incessant and when defeat menaces their friends they here and there take part in the combat the augurs have been consulted sacrifices and promises to the gods have been made and as the warring lines approach the war-gods of the opposing chiefs newly decorated and attended by long-haired priests are borne to the front war-cries and shouts of defiance follow the priests retire and the slingers open the battle spears are thrown and soon the struggle is hand to hand all over the field they fight in groups and squads around their chiefs and leaders who range the field in search of enemies worthy of their weapons no quarter is given or expected the first prisoners taken are reserved as offerings to the gods and are regarded as the most precious of sacrifices finally the leading chief of one of the opposing armies falls a desperate struggle over his body ensues and his dispirited followers begin to give ground and are soon in retreat some escape to a stronghold in the neighbouring mountains and a few perhaps to a temple or refuge but the most of them are overtaken and slain the prisoners who are spared become the slaves of their captors and the victory is celebrated with feasting and bountiful sacrifices to the gods this is a representative battle of the past either for the supremacy of rival chiefs or in repelling invasion from a neighbouring island but here and there we catch glimpses of actual conflicts indicative of the warlike spirit and chivalry of the early hawaiians far back in the past we see the beautiful hina abducted from her hawaiian husband by a prince of molokai and kept a prisoner in the fortress of haupu until her sons grow to manhood when she is rescued at the end of an assault which leaves the last of her defenders dead later we see the eight hundred helmeted chiefs of the king of hawaii all of noble blood hurling themselves to destruction against the spears of the armies of maui on the plains of wailuthu and then less than a generation after kamehameha is seen in the last battle of the conquest when at the head of sixteen thousand warriors he sweeps the oahuan army over the precipice of nuanu and becomes the master of the archipelago finally we behold kekua okalani 
the last defender in arms of the hawaiian gods and temples trampling upon the edict of the king against the worship of his fathers and dying with his faithful wife manono on the field of kuamu in the midst of these scenes of blood the eye rests with relief upon numerous episodes of love friendship and self-sacrifice touching with a softening colour the ruddy canvas of the past we see kanipahu the exiled king of hawaii delving like a common labourer on the neighbouring island and refusing to accept anew the sceptre in his old age because his back has become crooked with toil and he could no longer look over the heads of his subjects as he became a hawaiian king we see umi a rustic youth of royal mien and mighty proportions boldly leap the palace walls of the great liloa push aside the spears of the guards enter the royal mansion seat himself in the lap of the king and through the exhibition of a forgotten token of love receive instant recognition as his son and now lono the royal great-grandson of umi rises before us and we see him lured from self-exile by the voice of his queen reaching him in secret from without the walls of the sovereign court of oahu to succeeding pages with every detail of interest afforded by available tradition physical characteristics a few general remarks concerning the physical characteristics of the hawaiian islands would seem to be appropriate in presenting a collection of legends dealing alike with the history and folklore of their people the islands occupy a place in a great waste of the pacific between the nineteenth and twenty-third degrees of north latitude and the one hundred and fifty-fourth and one hundred and sixty-first degrees of longitude west from greenwich they are two thousand one hundred miles southwest from san francisco and about the same distance from tahiti the group consists of ten islands including two that are little more than barren rocks the farthest are about three hundred miles from each other measuring from their extreme boundaries and their aggregate area is a little more than six thousand one hundred square miles of the eight principal islands all are habitable although the small islands of nihau and kahulawe are used almost exclusively as cattle ranges the most of the shores of the several islands are fringed with coral but their origin seems to be indisputably shown in the numerous craters of extinct volcanoes scattered throughout the group and in the mighty fire still blazing from the mountain heights of hawaii by far the larger part of the area of the islands is mountainous but from the interior elevations some of them reaching altitudes of from ten to fourteen thousand feet flow many small streams of sweet water widening into fertile valleys as they reach the coast while here and there between them alluvial plateaus have been left by the upland wash with rare exceptions the mountainsides are covered with vegetation some of sturdy growth capable of being wrought into building materials and canoes while lower down the ohia the palm the banana and the breadfruit stand clothed in perpetual green with groves of stately cocos between them and the sea once the fragrant sandalwood was abundant in the mountains but it became an article of commerce with the natives in their early intercourse with the white races and is now rarely seen once the valleys and plateaus were covered with growing taro and potatoes now the cane and rice of the foreigner have usurped the places of both and in the few shaded spots that have been left him 
the forgiving and revengeless Hawaiian sadly chants his wild songs of the past. Neither within the memory of men, nor the reach of their legends, which extend back more than a thousand years, has there been an active volcano in the group beyond the large island of Hawaii, which embraces two-thirds of the solid area of the archipelago. The mighty crater of Haleakala, more than thirty miles in circumference on the island of Maui, has slept in peace among the clouds for ages, and hundreds of lesser and lower craters, many of them covered with vegetation, are found scattered among the mountains and foothills of the group, but their fires have long been extinct, and the scoria and ashes buried at their bases tell the story of their activity far back in the past. It must have been a sight too grand for human eyes to witness when all these dead volcanic peaks aglow with sulphurous flames lit up the moonless nights of the eight Hawaiian seas with their combined bombardment of the heavens. On the island of Hawaii alone have the fires of nature remained unextinguished. At intervals during the past thousand years or more have Mauna Kea, Mauna Walalai, and Mauna Loa sent their devastating streams of lava to the sea, and today the awful restless and ever-burning cauldron of Kilauea, nearly a mile in circumference, is the grandest conflagration that lights up the earth. Within its lurid depths, its fiery grottos and chambers of burning crystal, dwell Pele and her companions, and offerings are still thrown to them by superstitious natives. Do they yet believe in these deities, after more than sixty years of Christian teaching? after their temples have been levelled and their gods have been destroyed after their taboos have been broken and the priesthood has been dethroned and dishonoured the only answer is the offerings are still made although the channel and ocean coasts of the islands are generally bold rocky and precipitous there are numerous bays and indentations partially sheltered by reefs and headlands and many stretches of smooth and yellow beach where the waves touched by the kona or the trade winds breathe chase each other high up among the cocoa's roots and branches of the humble hau tree clinging to the sands the harbour of honolulu on the island of oahu is the only one however where passengers and freights of ocean crafts may be received or landed without the aid of lighters the most of the useful and ornamental growths of the tropics now flourish on the islands the indigenous plants, however, are confined to the banana, plantain, coconut, breadfruit, ohia, sugarcane, arrowroot, yam, sweet potato, taro, strawberry, raspberry, and ohelo. The lime, orange, mango, tamarind, papaya, guava, and every other edible product, aside from those named as indigenous, are importations of the past century the only domestic animals of the ancient hawaiians were dogs swine and fowls and the most formidable four-legged creatures found in their fields and forests were mice and lizards wild geese including a species peculiar to the islands ducks snipe and plover were abundant in their seasons but seem to have been sparely eaten and owls bats and a few varieties of birds of simple song and not over brilliant plumage made up about the sum total of animal life on the island a hundred years ago but the native could well afford to be content with this limited provision since it did not include snakes mosquitoes centipedes tarantulas or scorpions 
to what processes of creation or isolation do the hawaiian islands owe their existence were they raised from the depths of the ocean by volcanic action as plainly suggested by their formation or are they part of a great sunken continent which speculation sustained by misty tradition claims once occupied the polynesian seas hawaiian meles mention islands no longer to be found and the facility with which communication was maintained between the hawaiian and more southern groups previous to the twelfth century renders plausible the assumption that this intercourse was abruptly terminated six or seven centuries ago by the disappearance of a number of intervening atolls or islands which had served as guides to early polynesian navigators the gigantic ruins of temples and other structures found on easter and one or two other islands of the equatorial pacific are almost unanswerable arguments in favour of the theory of a sunken polynesian continent but the question will probably never be removed beyond the field of surmise historic outlines the source and early history of the hawaiian people and in fact of the polynesian race of which they are a part are involved in doubt they have generally been regarded as an offshoot of the great malayan family but more recent as well as more thorough investigation particularly by judge fornanda the learned and conscientious historian with reasonable conclusiveness shows the polynesian and malayan races to be of distinct and widely different origin accepting this conclusion we trace the strictly polynesian tribes to an aryan beginning somewhere in asia minor or arabia there in the remote past it is assumed they were brought in close contact with early cushite and chaldeo arabian civilizations subsequently drifting into india they to some extent amalgamated with the dravidian races and following the channels of the great chaldean commerce of that period at length found a home in the asiatic archipelago from sumatra to luzon and timor the exact time of their settlement on the large coast islands of southern asia cannot be definitely determined but their legends and genealogies leave little room to doubt that it was contemporaneous with the malay and hindu invasions of sumatra java and other islands of the archipelago during the first and second centuries of the christian era that the polynesians were pushed out not at once in a body but by families and communities covering a period of years to the smaller and more remote islands of the pacific their first general rendezvous was in the fiji group where they left their impress upon the native papuans expelled from or voluntarily leaving the fijis after a sojourn there of several generations the polynesians scattered over the pacific occupying by stages the several groups of islands where they are now found moving by the way of the samoan and society islands the migratory wave did not reach the hawaiian group until about the middle of the sixth century nanaula a distinguished chief was the first to arrive from the southern islands it is not known whether he discovered the group by being blown northward by adverse winds or in deliberately adventuring far out upon the ocean in search of new lands in either event he brought with him his gods priests prophets and astrologers and a considerable body of followers and retainers he was also provided with dogs swine and fowls and the seeds and germs of useful plants for propagation it is probable that he found the group without human inhabitants 
During that period, probably during the life of Nanaula, other chiefs of less importance arrived with their families and followers, either from Tahiti or Samoa. They came in barges and large double canoes capable of accommodating from fifty to one hundred persons each. They brought with them not only their priests and gods, but the earliest of Polynesian traditions. It is thought that none of the pioneers of the time of Nanaula ever returned to the southern islands, nor did others immediately follow the first migratory wave that peopled the Hawaiian group. For thirteen or fourteen generations, the first occupants of the Hawaiian islands lived sequestered from the rest of the world, multiplying and spreading throughout the group. They erected temples to their gods, maintained their ancient religion, and yielded obedience to their chiefs. The traditions of the period are so meagre as to leave the impression that it was one of uninterrupted peace, little having been preserved beyond the genealogies of the governing chiefs. But late in the tenth or early in the beginning of the eleventh century, the Hawaiians were aroused from their dream of more than four centuries by the arrival of a party of adventurers from the southern islands, probably from the society group. It was under the leadership of Nanamaoa. He was a warlike chief and succeeded in establishing his family in power on Hawaii, Maui, and Oahu. But stronger leaders were soon to follow from the south. Among the first was the high priest Pao from Samoa. He arrived during the reign of Kapawa, the grandson of Nanamaoa, or immediately after his death. The people were in an unsettled condition politically, and Pao, grasping the situation, either sent or returned in person to Samoa for Pili, a distinguished chief of that island. Arriving with a large following, Pili assumed the sovereignty of the island of Hawaii and founded a new dynasty. Pao became his high priest and somewhat disturbed the religious practices of the people by the introduction of new rites and two or three new gods. However, his religion did not seem to differ greatly from that of the native priests, and from him the last of the priesthood seven hundred years after claimed lineage and right of place. The intercourse thus established between the Hawaiian and southern groups by Nanamaioa, Pao, and Pili continued for about one hundred and fifty years, or until the middle or close of the twelfth century. During that period several other warlike families from the south established themselves in the partial or complete sovereignty of Oahu, Maui, and Kauai, and expeditions were frequent between the group and other distant islands of Polynesia. It was a season of unusual activity, and the legends of the time are filled with stories of love, conquest, and perilous voyages to and from the southern islands. In that age, when distant voyages were frequent, the Polynesians were bold and intelligent navigators. In addition to large double canoes capable of withstanding the severest weather, they possessed capacious barges with planks corded and corked upon strong frames. They were decked over and carried ample sail. Their navigators had some knowledge of the stars, knew the prominent planets, and gave them names were acquainted with the limits of the ecliptic and situation of the equator. With these helps, and keenly watchful of the winds and currents, of ocean drifts and flights of birds, they seldom failed to reach their destination, however distant. Near the close of the twelfth century, 
all communication between the hawaiian and southern groups suddenly ceased tradition offers no explanation of the cause and conjecture can find no better reason for it than the possible disappearance at that time of a number of island landmarks which had theretofore served as guides to the mariner the beginning of this period of isolation found the entire group with the exception perhaps of molokai and a portion of oahu in the possession of the southern chiefs or their descendants it has been observed that the first discovery and occupation of the islands by polynesians from the society and samoan groups occurred in the sixth century and that more than four hundred years later a second migratory tide from the same and possibly other southern islands reached the coasts of hawaii continuing for more than a century and a half and completely changing the political and to some extent the social condition of the people although nearly five centuries elapsed between the first and second migratory influxes from the south during which the inhabitants of the group held no communication with the rest of the world it is a curious fact that pili paumakua and other chiefly families of the second influx trace back their lineage to the ancestors of the chiefs of the first migration and make good their claim to the relationship by the recital of legends and genealogies common to both at the close of the second migratory period which concluded their intercourse with the world beyond them for more than six hundred years or from a d eleven seventy five to seventeen seventy eight the people of the group had very generally transferred their allegiance to the newly arrived chiefs the notable exceptions were the maweki and kamawawa families of oahu and molokai both of the ancient nanaula line although they were gradually crowded from their possessions by the more energetic invaders the high descent of the prominent native chiefs was recognized and by intermarriage their blood was allowed to mingle with the royal currents which have flowed down the centuries since they ceased to rule a mere outline of the political history of the islands from the twelfth century to the nineteenth is all that will be given here the legends following will supply much that will be omitted to avoid repetition until the final conquest of the group by kamehameha i at the close of the last century the five principal islands of the archipelago hawaii maui oahu Kauai, and molokai were each governed as a rule by one or more independent chiefs the smaller islands of lanai and kahulawe were usually subject to maui while nihau always shared the political fate of Kauai. on each island however were descendants of distinguished ancient chiefs and heroes who were recognized as of superior or royal blood and with them originated the supreme chiefs kings or moi of the several islands whose lines continued in authority with interruptions of insurrection and royal feuds until the consolidation of the group by kamehameha no one was recognized as a taboo chief unless his genealogical record showed him to be of noble blood and intermarriage between the ruling families as well as between the lesser chiefs of the several islands in time united the entire aristocracy of the group by ties of blood and gave to all of royal strain a common and distinguished ancestry the nobility and hereditary priesthood claimed to be of a stock different from that of the common people and their superior stature and intelligence seemed to favour the assumption to keep the blood of the chiefly classes far back in the past a college of heraldry was established 
before which all chiefs were required to recite their genealogies and make good their claims to noble descent the legends of the group abound in stories of romantic and sanguinary internal conflicts and political and predatory wars between the islands but down to the time of kamehameha but a single attempt had been made to subjugate the entire archipelago this bold scheme was entertained by a king of the island of hawaii who reigned during the latter part of the thirteenth century he succeeded in overrunning maui oahu and molokai but was defeated and taken prisoner on Kauai. without further reference to the intervening years from the twelfth century to the eighteenth a long period of wars festivals tournaments and royal and priestly pageantry we will now glance at the condition of the islands at the time of their discovery by captain cook a little more than a century ago it was estimated that the islands then contained a population of four hundred thousand souls this estimate has been considered large but when it is noted that fifteen years later there were between thirty and forty thousand warriors under arms in the group at the same time with large reserves ready for service the conclusion is irresistible that the population could scarcely have been less kamehameha invaded oahu with sixteen thousand warriors principally drawn from the island of hawaii he was opposed by eight or ten thousand spears while as many more awaited his arrival on Kauai. according to the figures of the rev mr ellis who travelled around the island of hawaii in eighteen twenty one and numbered the dwellings and congregations addressed by him in the several coast districts through which he passed the number of people on that island alone could not have been less than one hundred and fifteen thousand at the time of the arrival of captain cook kalaniopuu of the ancient line of pili was king of the large island of hawaii and also maintained possession of a portion of the island of maui kahikili the thundra as his name implied was moi of maui and the principal wife of kalaniapuu was his sister kahahana who was also related to kahikili was the king of oahu and claimed possession of molokai and lanai kamakahelei was the nominal queen of Kauai and niihau and her husband was a younger brother to kahikili while she was related to the royal family of hawaii thus it will be seen the reigning families of the several islands of the group were all related to each other as well by marriage as by blood so had it been for many generations but their wars with each other were none the less vindictive because of their kinship or attended with less of barbarity in their hours of triumph at that time kahikili was plotting for the downfall of kahahana and the seizure of oahu and molokai and the queen of Kauai was disposed to assist him in these enterprises the occupation of the hana district of maui by the kings of hawaii had been the cause of many stubborn conflicts between the chivalry of the two islands and when captain cook first landed on hawaii he found the king of that island absent on another warlike expedition to maui intent upon avenging his defeat of two years before when his famous brigade of eight hundred nobles was hewn in pieces connected with the court of kalaniopuu at that time was a silent and taciturn chief who had thus far attracted but little attention as a military leader 
he was a man of gigantic mould and his courage and prowess in arms were undoubted yet he seldom smiled or engaged in the manly sports so attractive to others and his friends were the few who discerned in him a slumbering greatness which subsequently gave him a name and fame second to no other in hawaiian history he was the reputed and accepted son of kiua the half-brother of kalaniopu although it was believed by many that his real father was kahikili moi of maui but however this may have been he was of royal blood and was destined to become not only the king of hawaii but the conqueror and sovereign of the group this chief was kamehameha such in brief was the political condition of the islands when captain cook arrived he was an officer in the english navy and with the warships resolution and discovery was on a voyage in search of a northwest passage eastward from bering straits leaving the society group in december seventeen seventy seven on the eighteenth of the following month he sighted oahu and Kauai. landing on the latter island and niihau he was received as a god by the natives and his ships were provided with everything they required without then visiting the other islands in the group he left for the northwest coast of america on the second of february seventeen seventy eight and in november of that year returned to the islands first sighting the shores of molokai and maui communicating with the wandering natives of the latter island he sailed around the coasts of hawaii and on the seventeenth of january dropped his anchors in kealakeakua bay he was hailed as a reincarnation of their god lono by the people and the priests conducted him to their temples and accorded him divine honours returning from his campaign in maui the king visited and treated him as a god and his ships were bountifully supplied with pigs fowls vegetables and fruits the ships left the bay on the fourth of february but meeting with a storm returned on the eighth for repairs petty bickerings soon after occurred between the natives and white sailors and on the thirteenth one of the ship's boats was stolen by a chief and broken up for its nails and other iron fastenings cook demanded its restoration and while endeavouring to take the king on board the resolution as a prisoner was set upon by the natives and slain fire was opened by the ships and many natives including four or five chiefs were killed the body of cook was borne off by the natives but the most of the bones were subsequently returned at the request of captain king and the vessel soon after left the island if captain cook was not the first of european navigators to discover the hawaiian islands he was at least the first to chart and make their existence known to the world it has been pretty satisfactorily established that juan gaetano the captain of a spanish galleon sailing from the mexican coast to the spice islands discovered the group as early as fifteen fifty five but he did not make his discovery known at the time and the existence of an old manuscript chart in the archives of the spanish government is all that remains to attest his claim to it native traditions mention the landing of small parties of white men on two or three occasions during the latter part of the sixteenth century but if the faces and ships of other races were seen by the hawaiians in the time of gaetano their descendants had certainly lost all knowledge of both two hundred or more years later 
for cook was welcomed as a supernatural being by the awe-stricken islanders and his ships were described by them as floating islands a simple iron nail was to them a priceless jewel and every act and word betrayed an utter ignorance of everything pertaining to the white races kalaniopuu the king of hawaii died in seventeen eighty two and kamehameha through the assistance of three or four prominent chiefs succeeded after a struggle of more than ten years in securing to himself the supreme authority over that island this done encouraged by the prophets assisted by his chiefs and sustained by an unwavering faith in his destiny he conquered maui oahu Kauai, and their dependencies and in seventeen ninety five was recognized as the sole master of the group although of royal stock the strain of kamehameha from the old line of kings was less direct than that of his cousin kiwaleo from whom he wrested the hawaiian sceptre but his military genius rallied around him the warlike chiefs who were dissatisfied with the division of lands by the son and successor of kalaniopuu and in the end his triumph was complete to father ennoble his succession he married the daughter of his royal cousin and thus gave to his children an undoubted lineage of supreme dignity the existence of the hawaiian islands became generally known to the world soon after the final departure of the resolution and discovery but it was not until seventeen eighty six that vessels began to visit the group the first to arrive after the death of captain cook were the english ships king george and queen charlotte and the same year a french exploring squadron touched at maui in seventeen eighty seven several trading vessels visited the group and the natives began to barter provisions and sandalwood for firearms and other weapons of metal in seventeen ninety two and again in seventeen ninety three captain vancouver of an english exploring squadron touched and remained for some time at the islands he landed sheep goats and horned cattle and distributed a quantity of fruit and garden seeds his memory is gratefully cherished by the natives for his mission was one of peace and broad benevolence thenceforward trading vessels in considerable numbers visited the group and during the concluding wars of kamehameha the rival chiefs had secured the assistance of small parties of white men and to some extent had learned the use of muskets and small cannon readily purchased and paid for in sandalwood which was then quite abundant on most of the timbered mountains of the islands the harbour of honolulu was first discovered and entered by two american vessels in seventeen ninety four and it soon became a favourite resort for the war trading and whaling vessels of all nations in the midst of these new and trying conditions kamehameha managed the affairs of his kingdom with distinguished prudence and sagacity he admonished his people to endure with patience the aggressions of the whites and to retain as far as possible their simple habits with his little empire united and peaceful kamehameha died on the eighth of may eighteen nineteen at the age of about eighty and his bones were so secretly disposed of that they have not yet been found liho liho the elder of his sons by keopualani the daughter of his cousin kiwaleo succeeded his warlike father with the title of kamehameha the second some knowledge of the christian religion had reached the natives through their white visitors 
but the old chief died in the faith of his fathers the death of kamehameha was immediately followed by an event for which history affords no parallel in october eighteen nineteen six months before the first christian missionaries arrived on the islands liholiho under the inspiration of kamakahumanu one of the widows of his father suddenly and in the presence of a large concourse of horrified natives broke the most sacred of the taboos of his religion by partaking of food from vessels from which women were feasting and the same day decreed the destruction of every temple and idol in the kingdom he was sustained by the high priest hiwahiwa who was the first to apply the torch and within a few weeks idols temples altars and a priesthood which had held prince and subject in awe for centuries were swept away leaving the people absolutely without a religion but all did not peacefully submit to this royal edict against their gods in the twilight of that misty period looms up a grand defender of the faith of kiawi and umi and the altars of the hawaiian gods this champion was kikua okalani a nephew perhaps a son of the first kamehameha and a cousin perhaps a half-brother of liholiho in his veins coursed the royal blood of hawaii and his bearing was that of a king he was above six and one-half feet in height with limbs well proportioned and features strikingly handsome and commanding he was of the priesthood and through the bestowal of some taboo or prerogative claimed to be second in authority to hiwahiwa who traced his lineage back to pau the high priest of pili his wife manono was scarcely less distinguished for her courage beauty and chiefly strain the apostasy of hiwahiwa left kikua okalani at the head of the priesthood at least so he seems to have assumed and the royal order to demolish the temples was answered by him with an appeal to the people to arm and join him in defence of their gods he raised the standard of revolt on the island of hawaii and was soon at the head of a considerable army a large force was sent against him and every effort was made to induce him to lay down his arms but he scorned all terms refused all concessions a battle was fought at kuamu at first favourable to the defenders of the gods but the firearms of the whites in the service of the king turned the tide of war against them and they were defeated and scattered kekua okalani was killed on the field and manono his brave and faithful wife fighting by his side fell dead upon the body of her husband with a musket-ball through her temples a rude monument of stones still marks the spot where they fell and it is told in whispers that the kona passing through the shrouding vines attunes them to saddest tones of lamentation over the last defenders in arms of the hawaiian gods four or five months before the death of kekua okalani kalai moku the prime minister of liholiho and his brother boki were baptized under the formula of the roman catholic church by the chaplain of a french corvette on a passing visit to the islands they scarcely knew the meaning of the ceremony and it is safe to say that at the time of the destruction of their temples and the repudiation of their gods the hawaiian people knew little or nothing of any other religion the abolition of the taboo 
which had made them slaves to their chiefs and priests and held their fathers in bondage for centuries was hailed with so great a joy by the native masses that they did not hesitate when called upon to consign the priesthood and their gods to the grave of the taboo on the thirtieth of march eighteen twenty some months after this strange religious revolution the first party of christian missionaries arrived at the islands from massachusetts they were well received they found a people without a religion and their work was easy other missionary parties followed from time to time and found the field alike profitable to the cause in which they laboured and to themselves individually they acquired substantial possessions in their new home controlled the government for the fifty or more years following and their children are to-day among the most prosperous residents of the group this is not said with a view to undervalue the services of the early missionaries to hawaii but to show that all missionary fields have not been financially unfruitful to zealous and provident workers and now let it be remarked with emphasis that the value of missionary labours in the hawaiian group should not be measured by the small number of natives who to-day may be called christians but rather by the counsel and assistance of these thrifty religious teachers in securing and maintaining the independence of the islands and by degrees establishing a mild and beneficent constitutional government under which taxation is as light and life and property are as secure as in any other part of the civilized world they were politicians as well as religious instructors and practical examples of the value of christian discipline when prudently applied to the acquisition of the needful and inviting things of life and the establishment of a civil system capable of protecting the possessor in his acquired rights in eighteen twenty four liho liho and his queen died while on a visit to england and their remains were sent back to the islands in an english man-of-war kaui kia uli a youth of ten years and brother of the deceased king was accepted as the rightful heir to the throne under the title of kamehameha the third and kaohumanu one of the wives of kamehameha the first acted as regent and prime minister in eighteen twenty seven and ten years later roman catholic missionaries arrived and were sent away by order of the government but in eighteen thirty nine the priests of that denomination were finally landed under the guns of a french frigate and allowed to remain meantime churches schools and printing presses had been established the hawaiian had become a written language and the laws and decrees of the government were promulgated in printed form in eighteen forty the first written constitution was given to the people guaranteeing to them a representative government in february eighteen forty three lord paulet of the english navy took formal possession of the islands but in the july following their sovereignty was restored through the action of admiral thomas in november of the same year france and england mutually agreed to refrain from seizure or occupation of the islands or any portion of them and the united states while declining to become a party to the agreement promptly acknowledged the independence of the group kamehameha the third died in eighteen fifty four and was succeeded by kamehameha the fourth the latter reigned until eighteen sixty three when he died and was succeeded by prince lot with the title of kamehameha the fifth in eighteen sixty four 
lot abrogated the constitution of eighteen forty and granted a new one he reigned until eighteen seventy two and died without naming a successor and the legislative assembly elected lunalio to the throne he was of the kamehameha family and with his death in eighteen seventy three the kamehameha dynasty came to an end he too failed to designate a successor but as but two of the accepted descendants of the first kamehameha remained one a sister of kamehameha the fifth and the other a female cousin of that sovereign david kalakaua was elected to the throne by the legislative assembly in eighteen seventy four receiving all but five votes of that body which were cast for the queen dowager emma widow of kamehameha the fourth provision having been made for the event by a previous legislative assembly king kalakaua with his queen kapiolani was formally crowned on the twelfth of february eighteen eighty three in the presence of the representatives of many of the nations of the old world and the new since the coronation the last of the kamehamehas has passed away including the queen dowager emma and king kalakaua remains the most direct representative in the kingdom of the ancient sovereigns of hawaii he draws his strain from liloa through the great first family of hawaii who joined their fortunes with the first kamehameha in the conquest of the group his queen kapiolani is a granddaughter of the last independent sovereign of Kauai, and is thus allied in blood with the early rulers of the group she is childless and the princess liliokalani the elder of the two sisters of the king has been named as his successor she is the wife of his excellency john o dominis an american by birth and present governor of the islands of oahu and maui the only direct heir in the families of the king and his two sisters is the princess kariolani daughter of the princess likiliki wife of mr cleghorn a merchant of honolulu following is a list of the sovereigns of hawaii with the dates and durations of their several governments from the eleventh to the nineteenth century it embraces only the rulers of the island of hawaii who eventually became the masters of the group until the reign of kalanioku which began in seventeen fifty four the dates are merely approximate pilikaiai from a d ten ninety five to eleven twenty kukohau from a d eleven twenty to eleven forty five kaniohi from a d eleven forty five to eleven seventy kanipahu from a d eleven seventy to eleven ninety five kalapana including the usurpation of kamaioli from a d eleven ninety five to twelve twenty kahaimoilia from a d twelve twenty to twelve sixty kalauniohua from a d twelve sixty to thirteen hundred kuaiwa from a d thirteen hundred to thirteen forty kahukapu from a d thirteen forty to thirteen eighty kauhola nuimahu from a d thirteen eighty to fourteen fifteen kiha 
from A.D. 1415 to 1455, Liloa, from A.D. 1455 to 1485, Hakao, from A.D. 1485 to 1490, Umi, from 1490 to 1525, Keili'i Okaloa, from A.D. 1525 to 1535, Keawenui, from A.D. 1535 to 1565, Keikelani and Lonoikamatahiki, from A.D. 1565 to 1595, Kea Kealanikane, from A.D. 1595 to 1625, Kea Kamahana from A.D. 1625 to 1655. Kealani Wahine from 1655 to 1685. Keawi and Sister from A.D. 1685 to 1720. Alapanui from A.D. 1720 to 1754. Kalani Opu from A.D. 1754 to 1782, Kamehameha I, from A.D. 1782 to 1819, Kamehameha II, Liho Liho, from A.D. 1819 to 1824, Kaahumanu Regency, from A.D. 24 to 1833, Kamehameha III, Kari Uli, from A.D. 1833 to 1854, Kamehameha IV, from A.D. 1854 to 1863, Kamehameha V, Lot, from A.D. 1863 to 1872, Luna from A.D. 1872 to 1873, Kalakau, from A.D. 1874 to present. Having thus briefly sketched the outline of the prominent political events of the islands, the ancient religion of the Hawaiians will next be referred to, and as the taboo was no less a religious than a secular prerogative, it may properly be considered in connection with the priesthood. A knowledge of the power, scope, and sanctity of the taboo is essential to a proper understanding of the relations existing in the past between the people and their political and religious rulers, and this great governing force will now claim our attention. End of chapter 1